Warning! This show contains adult themes and language, including bearing zero responsibility for 20 years of our actions. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on September 1st, 2021, and we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear millions of armchair strongmen are suffering from it. I am Squeaky. And I am Mako. We discuss logic and evidence because raging partisans won't. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you spent $20 trillion funding a war and are a little tight right now, you can still help us out by liking, subscribing, and leaving a review. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. The small business of the show is Radiolab and WNYC Studios. They make great broadcasts and even provided a source for today's episode. Today we're going to discuss Afghanistan, God, UFOs, and the limits of evidence. You know, nothing heavy. Keep it nice and light. And if you stay long enough, maybe even life, universe, and everything. 42. I said we were going to discuss it, not provide the answer. Thank you. Uh, oh. Okay. Before you did pauses longer than that, Set. Warning. I will insert science later. This show contains adult themes and language, including bearing zero responsibility for... We often start off with corrections or other little details related to the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I guess the only real correction from last episode was that I said Pundit Gateway once and I meant Gateway Pundit. They're still garbage. Doesn't change that. Yep. I just wish that if I had gotten their name wrong, I would have done it in like a funny way. Yeah. Kind of a boring correction, but you know, necessary nonetheless. Yeah, I guess. So we started the raffle and that's going well. We've picked up lots of new Twitter supporters and subscribers to our subreddit and we're going to start doing more stuff in both places. Mm -hmm. uh, I also benchmarked the uh, flash drives and I've got a little thing going where I automatically fill the flash drives with all of our episodes and test each flash drive nice and thoroughly. I'm throwing a source in to the show notes so you can go to everything.usb, everything.usb.com. <laughs> I think you got a, a yeah. errant dot there. I do. EverythingUSB.com. And our disks are pretty similar to some Samsys. Samsung or SanDisk. Yep. Both of those is what I was trying to say. Just maybe not at the same time. Yep. That helps. But they have these ultra small flash drives that are about the same speed as ours. Mm -hmm. They're using some actual benchmark software that gets to like the peak performance of, of disks. So we're like 5-10% behind that. So I'm pretty comfortable with our real world numbers. Mm -hmm. Also on the raffle... We totally left out the secret code. Yeah, that was a pretty embarrassing revelation for us. But in our defense, this is our first raffle. Yeah, I've never done this before. Yeah. So we'll be sure to include the secret code this episode. Sure. One other thing. In my rant last week, I reached out to Ella. She Ella was, who? Oh, the woman from the Arizona audit. She volunteered in the audit and she was just supporting all of the con man's viewpoints. Okay. I let her know that she was in the episode. She blocked me. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know what else I expected. I told her, listen to the first seven minutes of the episode. Approximately seven minutes later, I was blocked. Oh, <laughs> that's actually remarkably flattering. She listened. Yay. Yay. We picked up one listener for one episode. Oh, no, maybe more episodes than that if she's concerned that she's going to be brought up again, which apparently she is. Does this count as being brought up? I guess. Yeah. I'm describing an action she took. Yep. Yeah. Don't try to track her down or find her. That's first, that's not cool. Yeah. And next, you can't. There's no public information about her. And I changed her name. So you, you, there's no, no good way to figure out who she is from, from here or from me. And I won't tell you. So yeah. we covered PC efficiency back in episode 13, oil and climate change with the rock doctor. 
because California changed some laws Mm -hmm. and the laws are just impossible to decipher. They're like a secret code. Regrettably. Yeah. But like any secret code, if you spend enough time and effort on it, you can decipher it. And that's exactly what Linus Tech Tips did. And there's a link to one of their videos. And they go over exactly what makes a PC shippable to California or not. And it's not exactly complex. It's just don't build a stupid PC. That sounds straightforward to the layman, but I mean, something tells me it may not necessarily be that simple to all parties involved. Well, the only group that fucked it up was Dell. ABK Customs, the sponsor Mm -hmm. of the show, they can do it. (laughs) Uh, Origin PC, HP, Lenovo, they all figured it out. Six different states have these laws, and they're all not worried about it. It boils down to expandability per watt. The more powerful the machine is, the more expandable it needs to be. And there are rules on like how many USB ports make something expandable, how many PCI ports. The more ports an expansion a computer has, the better. And Dell has a combination of low expandability, crappy power supplies, and crappy sleep performance. So while the machine is in an unused state, that all of that taken together, they decided it wasn't even worth the effort to attempt to certify their computers. That is um, that's a pretty special levels of garbage. We're talking about Dell. Uh, yeah, like I had an idea of where Dell was like on the garbage-o-meter before. And it's it's moved. Like, I, I don't disagree that Dell is garbage, but they're even hotter garbage than I thought. Do you remember back when we worked in that pawn shop together? <laughs> That's one way to phrase it, yeah. Yeah, but when we would get in those, like, pallets full of just busted laptops, and then I would start taking them and Frankensteining them into working machines. Uh, I don't remember them being laptops, but yes. Sometimes there were laptops. I think you got mostly the little small form factor PCs. Yeah. Yeah, they sent my they sent a bunch of laptops my way. The reason I was able to assemble so many Dells from there is because there were so many Dells coming in. Something like half of the laptops were like Dell Inspirons. So I'd just rip them apart, see what failed, reassemble them. And even back then, this was, this was like 15 years ago, Dell was making garbage then. Apparently, at least they were still making serviceable garbage. Anything serviceable enough with enough uh, willingness to cut and use hot glue to hold a PC together. I don't know. I remember the last time that I tried to open up a Dell and it became very obvious very rapidly that they deliberately engineered it to prevent people like me from servicing it. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you there. Um, Just one more thing for people listening. If you're not familiar with this, again, this is back in episode 13, but I'll also link to wonderfulengineering.com. They're a great example of just wild fear-mongering. They didn't do any basic amount of research. They have no explanation why Dell can't ship gaming computers to certain places, which is what this is all about. They're claiming that gaming computers won't ship at all, or at least they imply that. So there's a bunch of people saying that gaming computers can't be sold and just generally fear-mongering around gamers. When really the truth is more nuanced, it does hit Dell, doesn't hit anyone else. <laughs> you have any uh, final words on any of this? Not particularly. Would we still be saying that Dell's garbage if we, didn't, if we weren't sponsored by a PC manufacturer? Yes. Okay. Totally. I can confidently say ABK Customs is not garbage. Good. Our sponsor's going to love hearing this. You're so <laughs> enthusiastic. Well, I'm just saying like you're the one that knows them personally and if you had anything other than that to say about them then that would be very unfortunate i will introduce you okay (laughs) Uh, we're good yeah soon we'll be past this soon i'm just disappointed in myself me too you're disappointed (laughs) in me (laughs) what damn it just seems like the right thing to say at the time but i don't mean it
I figured that we should, instead of occasionally having episodes covering COVID, maybe spend a few minutes each episode, try to keep it short, discussing COVID for just a hot minute, because there's so much misinformation around it. Yeah, we'll, we'll actually see if we can keep it to a minute. I don't think we're going to keep it to a minute, but if we keep it to five, I'll be thrilled. That seems reasonable. Okay. Some things I've learned recently. I stumbled across a, an episode of Sawbones that actually suggests how to approach people when they're suffering with vaccine hesitancy, mm-hmm. and they're suggesting just get them to speak to a doctor. That's actually a really good idea because doctors are positioned really well and they're like deep de facto trusted sources of information. Yeah. So don't they're viewed as a uh, as authority. Yeah. That can yeah. Trust if your doctor tells you to do a thing, you at least know that's the right thing to do, even if you're gonna keep eating red meat, keep putting salt on things, keep smoking, keep killing yourself, however you're gonna do it, you at least know the doctor told you not to and it's a bad idea. Well, okay. I think a minor addendum, personal physician is definitely in that position. Yeah. Because how many times did we hear people going to the ER and the doctor tells them they have COVID and they're like, that's not possible. COVID's a hoax. Tell me what's actually wrong with me. And then they die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to claim this is perfect. This isn't going to change everyone's mind. But there is a category of people. Yeah. Right? So just if you're stuck arguing with someone about COVID, ask them to ask them to go to their doctor and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, the doctor's well-practiced and should have the vaccine on hand. So, yeah. <sighs> Another COVID topic, I've actually encountered this one in person, people pushing ivermectin and remdesivir. Hey, uh... I'm not sure exactly what remdesivir is used for, but uh, I know it doesn't work on COVID because a Greenville County, this is, uh, was this in Texas? But a Republican Party leader in this uh, rural county was on a remdesivir regimen and died of COVID. Yep. I got a source for that in the show notes. He deteriorated over the course of a month, went on a ventilator, and did not wake up. Which is typical for the course of someone who's dying on COVID and on no medicine at all. Yeah. It's almost like remdesivir does nothing. I'm not super well versed in what that is, but I know ivermectin is for deworming sheep. And horses and other animals. And chickens, yeah. Yeah. And there's actually even cases for using it on people. There are human prescriptions for ivermectin you can get, and they're in doses appropriate for people instead of horses. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but even then, what it treats is worms and parasites. Yeah, like initially the FDA scrambled to say, like, guys, don't take this drug because somebody attempted to self-medicate it and ended up in the hospital. Oh, there's actually been uh, an uptick in uh, poison control center calls for ivermectin overdoses in Mississippi, Texas, and Alabama. That makes sense. And the source for that, by the way, is uh, rawstore.com. Check out the ivermectin horse paste for humans URL. Oh, Yeah, so I think it was Tennessee was trying to pass a bill to let horses, I'm sorry, to let people. Yeah. I'm sorry, they didn't pass a bill. They just discussed it on the the legislature floor. Yeah, they tried to make the argument that the the FDA and CDC guidance is just a guide and they're not under any kind of obligation to follow what the federal government says and they have the power to force these medications through and well technically the fda guidelines are just a guide but if you don't listen to the experts guidelines you're kind of dumb yeah yeah they're these people are very obviously dumb. i can't even imagine what they, they think they're accomplishing here but so uh, part of the problem is that and the skeptocrats highlighted this they're the ones who alerted me and i've got a source to to one of their episodes but uh most of the ivermectin studies on COVID treatment say that there's no effect in appropriate doses and appropriate conditions. Shocking. One paper with faked data was able to bring the average of a bunch of papers added together up to the point where it looked like ivermectin was barely statistically significant. If you take this paper out, ivermectin looks like nothing. It just looks like treating something not related to COVID, unless you take an overdose and, you know, like a horse dose and you die. 
But this one paper was full of fake data. It was full of all kinds of problems. There was one guy who, uh, who in the, the paper was, uh, was noted as doing something on a date that didn't exist. Uh, the data was faked. Clearly, the, the abstract was copy and pasted from somewhere. Skeptocrats sketch on this is hilarious. Go watch it. And then they also cite sources for where they got it. And I'll have sources in the show notes for this. It's so obviously fake. Fun. Sorry, did I interrupt you? No, just it's interesting when something is so obviously fake. Like usually you just have to point out like uh, smaller methodology flaws and be like, oh, yeah, this could introduce some bias probably. And then be in a spot where you are like, we need more studies to actually verify and cut through any flaws that this study may have. But in this case, you're just like, no, this is what the fuck are you even doing? This is very obviously a lie. Stop. Yeah. The original publication that posted this retracted it. And it had, if I remember correctly, people checking out of hospitals on June 31st which isn't a day. June ends on the 30th. Yep. So clearly they did something wrong. They were manipulating data after the fact. Too bad this wasn't peer-reviewed. That does sound sketchy. Yeah. Well, the peer review process has been under strain for a while. We've been in that duplication crisis, which is a topic for a whole nother episode. Ugh. Yep. I'm sure you've got something else you want to say on this? <laughs> that covers most of the things I brought up. Yeah. So looking around what the, the newest news on COVID is and I mean, as much as there is just new stories to tell and new details to old topics relating to COVID, I wanted to focus on something a little different. So there recently have been just a few talks about potentially getting a third shot or getting a booster shot. It's probably the, the better term because not all vaccines are dual dose like the Johnson & Johnson. But getting an additional booster because there are concerns over how long these vaccines are going to last. Like, how long do they remain effective? And there's been a bunch of studies that have been trying to ascertain that. And a lot of the studies do say that vaccine effectiveness wanes over time, even time scales that we are starting to experience now. It is a belief of many people that the current outbreaks of Delta that are happening in Israel is the result of waning vaccine effectiveness. How firm are we on that? Is that like a scientist suspicion or do we have like hard data on that? We have data, but I'm not sure I would describe it as hard data. We have good reason to believe it, but we, we can't assert it as fact yet. Okay, so the current leading belief among experts is people who were vaccinated in the beginning, their vaccination might be wearing off. Now would be a good time for boosters, probably. And yep. if anyone's speaking against this, they're probably full of crap unless they provide like peer-reviewed papers. Yeah. In fact, Israel is already rolling out a program for getting booster shots and that's uh, that's kicking off. But the general belief is that particularly with the mRNA vaccines, that with the dual dose, that high levels of effectiveness are going to only remain effective for six months is what the preliminary data seems to show. Ooh, that's rough. Vaccination rates for people with like getting the flu shot each year, those are pretty low. Something like half of Americans don't get them. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, older people are more likely to get like 65-ish percent and younger people are less likely to take it as they get younger. Down to like 30% for 18-year-olds. Yeah. So uh, there was a couple of specific details. And they also did point out that just across the board, the, the existing vaccines are less effective against Delta. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Isn't it just a little bit different too? That's why? Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's not a huge gap in effectiveness, but it is less effective. So there was one study that focused on nursing home residents and found the mRNA vaccines. They dropped from being around 75% effective pre-Delta to 53% effective post-Delta. That's a pretty substantial drop. Gross. But it is a very specific demographic. Uh, Another study claims that effectiveness for all three major vaccines, so Johnson, Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, dropped from 91.7%. This is across all age groups that can be vaccinated, mind you, from 91.7% to 79.8% between May and July this year. Exactly how they collected that data, I'm, I'm not entirely clear on, but I mean, if uh, it's because we have ongoing studies, because this isn't untested. Well, <laughs> that is the obvious high level answer, yes. But when you're collecting this information, there's there's methodologies to be considered. And I'm just saying, I don't know what the methodology is. Okay. Can I liven things up a little bit and move away from lots of horrible death? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I probably can't, actually. So I have one last thing on the topic of COVID. Okay, sure. Could you go to the, the imager link? Imager link. The five. Yep. What you say, what I hear. Yeah. Would you rather read the green or the white parts? <laughs> okay, I think white. I'll, I'll go with white. Mako and I found this little thing of just five things that bad people say when they don't want to get vaccinated, just kind of horrible things they can say and easy rebuttals that you might use mm-hmm. when they say most people don't die from it. What I hear is the thousands of people who die from COVID-19 every week are insignificant to me. Damn. If you tell someone they think other people are insignificant, that's really calling out their ego. Maybe. Seems like the type of thing that pe- a lot of these people would probably be able to shrug off. <laughs> okay. When they say we have to get back to our lives. God, I fucking hate that one. Uh, what I hear The response to COVID-19 should be tailored to my tolerance for inconvenience, regardless of other people's safety. I feel like you can only call out people's ego so much before they uh, capitulate. My thought is, yeah, you're right. We do need to get back to our lives. So how about we crush this fucking virus by following the fucking guidance until it's solved? It would be easy, wouldn't it? (laughs) When they say, I don't live in fear. Oh, fuck yes, you do, you dumb piece of shit. Sorry, what I hear, I'm willing to endanger the people around me to prove how brave I am. Ow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When they say, keeping me at home is a violation of my freedom. (laughs) Don't even know what fucking freedom is. What I hear, the most pressing injustice right now is my inconvenience, not other people getting sick and dying. That, okay, that also kind of reminds me of, quote, from Futurama, where Bender says, this is the worst kind of discrimination, the kind against me. (sighs) Okay, when they say, you're exaggerating because you're out to get Trump. (laughs) Right, because everything revolves around Trump. Dumb fuck. What I hear, I can't imagine caring about other people unless they can be used as political weapons. That pretty much sums it up. If someone's pointing out Trump because of COVID, they're not operating in good faith. They're not operating on reality or evidence. No, just anything that is anti them, they're going to try to steer back to that somehow, whether it's it has any basis or not. And it's just completely irrational to be polite about it. You want to be done with COVID for now? I think we're good. Yeah. All right, let us know. Uh, don't forget to reach out to us. Contact at disevidentia.com, uh, reddit.com slash r slash disevidentia. Tweet at us at disevidentia. Let us know if you like this idea of touching on this. We'll listen to every tweet and every email. We'll get back to you if we can. Do you need a computer? Go to abkcustoms.com. That is abk-kustoms.com to speak to an expert to get the computer you need. Squeaky knows one of the builders over there. He is knowledgeable and eager to please. Give them code EVIDENCE for a 10% discount on your next computer. 
Ah, Afghanistan, the topic that suddenly everybody is an expert on. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah, I think we should make it clear. We're not experts on this either. Oh no, not in the slightest. Yeah, I mean, we've been around since the beginning of this. We were there, we were old enough to remember what happened for 9-11, but living through it doesn't make us experts. There's millions of viewpoints. Neither of us have even been to Afghanistan. Nope. But we do understand evidence and the limits of it, and we can call out some bad claims. Mm-hmm. <sighs> have you heard anything specifically bad on this in social media or in your social circles? People just saying dumb shit? Um... I mean, not really. Most of the people that I communicate with are just in the camp of, oh, wow, it's actually happening. But beyond that, not really. Yeah, I've been hyper exposed to it. Again, LinkedIn, looking around, talking to people, plugging the show. People have been all of a sudden experts in this. And looking back a couple a couple weeks, everyone was like, why isn't Biden pulling us out? Trump said that we should get out. This is this is terrible. Biden... Trump supporters were shouting that we really needed to get out of Afghanistan. And now that we're getting out of out of Afghanistan, there's a whole bunch of Trump supporters that are staunchly in favor of us staying. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, they flip flop based on whatever outrage they're told to express at the time. It's really what that is. Yeah. And this is part of why we're, I don't know, attacking conservatism more. I mean, I don't want to take a hard political stance. I want to side with the evidence. So we'll change as soon as, you know, better or new evidence comes in. Yeah. But there just isn't much to insult liberals on with regard to this kind of things. Recently, liberals have been aligned with evidence. And when they're not, I'll call them out. Yeah, there's only one party that seems to be engaging in an ongoing active campaign against truth. Yeah, not that that means Biden's clear. He's, I don't want to call him conservative, but he's not as liberal as he could be. A lot of people called him conservative light on the campaign trail. Yeah, and depending on how you want to measure that, that's either entirely true or entirely false. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember it. There was a group that rated politicians based on how liberal or how conservative they were. They try to rate based on how politicians have voted or which policies they are for or against, how liberal or how conservative they are. Yeah. Don't know how I want to view that, because if you're a center-leaning or intentionally moderate organization, there's a real chance you miss viewpoints that either side have, so you will fundamentally pull politicians towards the middle because you don't understand the views in a nuanced enough way to get there. But at least they're trying, and they produce a paper trail, so there's uh, some rigor. We can go back and say, why did they get the answer they did? But we are way off topic. I have this poll that Americans want the war in Afghanistan to end. Well, anyway, 538 alerted me to that poll, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll go dig through their stuff and find it. Yeah, I remember that being a common talking point for both Democrats and Republicans. They're like, hey, let's, why are we still in this country? Blah, 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 blah. And now, yeah. All sorts of things. Again, it's not really coming from my social circle all that much, but I still see it on social media. People complaining about how, no, we need to you know, safeguard other assets there or we need to show strength or... What I dislike is that I'm simultaneously hearing from a lot of conservatives that we don't owe Afghanistan anything and then them simultaneously saying we need to save everybody over there (laughs) so it's like well what do you mean here and some people try to draw a fine line and they try to draw a distinction we need to save every american but no afghans but even a fine line like that doesn't work a lot of the people who worked as like translators or worked as local guides for the u.s military worked Mm -hmm. to get citizenship and some of them have citizenship and that line cuts them out. So it's just so it's my, not a coherent thought process. Well, you're right. You're right. It's not coherent. Uh, my theory for why that is, is like a lot of things 
in politics, regrettably. Ooh, can I guess? Can I guess? I don't think you're going to get it, but yeah, sure. So it's not racism? <laughs> it's not what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> no, because like, like you said, they're in favor of simultaneously getting people out of Afghanistan and not wanting to be in Afghanistan, like not wanting to help. Like, so it's one thing to, to say, oh yeah, maybe it's just that they want to save American lives. And that is pretty straightforward, intuitive, like the whole tribalism thing. You want to save your own people. But I think it's more like emotional. These people are capable of making the emotional decision that human lives are valuable and worth saving, but simultaneously acting off of the emotional conditioning that Afghans are less than human. You could have just said racism. <laughs> it's a bit uh, more nuanced than that. Uh, yeah, yeah. But how nuanced do we need to be? I don't know. Do people want to understand the mentality or no? 538 in their episode, they likened it to the, the fall of Saigon when we were leaving Vietnam. It seems more orderly than that by a little. <laughs> yeah, by a little. Uh, and even Biden, apparently in some leaked memos, he likened it to that as well. And he said he'll be fine politically. John Oliver talks about that one. And it's kind of gross. And where they snipped or where John Oliver really hit Biden was where he claimed he wanted zero responsibility. And that piece looked really cut up. So I'm like, is John Oliver really trying to, like, hit Biden hard? And I went and looked at it, and I found the original clip. He makes Biden look better. Yeah. Because Biden drops into, like, some ridiculous whataboutism, saying nonsense like, why don't we go help the Uyghurs? Or we shouldn't go help. If you want me to help the Afghans, it means we should go help the Uyghurs. And I'm like, well, nobody brought up the Uyghurs here except you. And we didn't get done with a 20-year war in West China. So... No, Biden, that's shit logic. Now, also, if we have the capacity to help the Uyghurs, then yeah, let's, uh, yeah. I wouldn't mind exploring that. Yeah, and we could help the Uyghurs purely economically. Like, if we went to China and said, hey, you're going to stop this or we're going to just not let electronics through, in like a week it would be fixed. China would figure that shit out. They would fight us for six days. Day seven, it would be fixed. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it. And I'm not claiming to be an expert there, but China needs a customer for all the shit they're making. We need a bunch of shit yeah. to be made. We have super strong economic ties with China. And if we, we flex that stuff, yeah, they're they're going to start by firing back. But I, don't know, I think depending on how we leverage it, I think we could leverage it better than China could. Historically, we have. Yeah. Historically, I mean, just how we've gained our power since uh, the post-war years is by being the economic uh, hegemon. We've controlled how money flows. We decide who gets money. And maybe you've heard it in the news, but every time we do economic sanctions, what that really means is we're not allowing certain kinds of uh, money or resources into a country. Mm -hmm. So like North Korea right now, they are under economic sanctions. Part of why, why nobody there has a computer, an iPad, a TV or anything like that is we're not allowing any luxury good into the country. And we tell all, all of our trading partners, hey, if you send luxury goods to North Korea, we won't trade with you either. So people are given the choice of be on the side of the U.S. or be on the side of North Korea. And North Korea's got nothing. So they're like, oh, I guess I have to be on the side of the U.S. And it actually works. It puts huge strain on North Korea and they won't really pose a threat. Well, depending on your scale of threat. Yeah. I mean, they could apparently launch a nuke at someone, but there's no way they could win that war. No. They would start a war by killing apparently everybody in Seoul, and then they'd immediately just be crushed and die as a swarm of allies it attack would, them. It would be the last act they ever committed. Yeah. Blah. Way off in theory territory here. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of good, strong evidence supporting us. <sighs> so that's my conjecture for how that would go down. If anybody has evidence to counter, let me know. I do want to hear it. Yep. On why we went into Afghanistan, I guess. Yeah, well, the... There's a few different reasons why we went into Afghanistan. The biggest, most obvious one, the, the thing that sparked the flame, so to speak, was 
you know, the attacks on September 11th, 2001, yep. and our hunt for Osama bin Laden. But once there, I mean, we maintained a presence there. The original stated purpose was because Afghanistan was being used as a haven for terrorist activity, and we wanted to create an environment in Afghanistan that was not conducive for the creation or housing of terrorists. So we wanted a country not ruled by the Taliban. That's a, an unfortunate and accurate way to phrase that, yes. <sighs> So, just to clarify, I'm trying not to be partisan here. Bush brought us into this. Obama perpetuated it. Mm -hmm. Trump didn't stop it. Biden is stopping it. But I don't want to give credit to Democrats or Republicans. Because when this all started, one person voted against it. Yeah. One. That is true. Uh, minor addendum. Uh, Biden... He didn't make the initial decision to stop it. Trump did. That's true. And Biden is simply carrying that out because it actually lines up with Biden's thoughts on Afghanistan uh, somewhat well. Not perfect. He's cognizant of the counterterrorism mission in Afghanistan, but he thinks that pretty much everything else there is more or less a lost cause, at least near as I can tell. Yeah, he's, per the notes that you've added here, he's been talking about that since at least 2009. Yeah, and he... He was skeptical of some of the intelligence reports regarding like the, the Taliban's reach and things like that. He consistently asked for like more coherent goals in Afghanistan and claims that he wasn't really able to get good answers for those goals or and that we just didn't see good progress on the, the more nebulous goals that were provided. And that's that's technically true. I mean, there has been progress and, and good things that have happened in Afghanistan, but compared to the amount of resources and time that have been put in there, the gains are somewhat abysmal. Yeah, it's my understanding we've kind of just created a, a class of crime lords. It definitely enabled them. Um, created might be a bit of a strong of a word, but we definitely enabled them. Okay, that's that seems reasonable. So we move in, we fight for 20 years, we pull out, and we have... What exactly to show for it? Because Taliban's taking over everything again. It's my understanding they have everything outside of Kabul. Kabul? I don't know how to pronounce things. I only hear it on the news every day. Fair. They apparently have large portions or all of Kabul outside of the airport. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, these 20 years of fighting didn't get us much. No. I also have to wonder if we could have had a better exit, but I, I don't have any evidence that says that we could. I mean... A lot of these things seem very, very poorly planned. I... I I don't know what the, the details are for a lot of this stuff because... There just isn't publicly released papers or documents. We don't yeah. know what they're doing or why they're planning it. So anybody saying that they know, well, you're either leaking classified information and, well, you know, problematic that way, or you, you're, you're full of crap. Classified or not, it's a pretty reasonable presumption that you wouldn't want United States armament to fall into Taliban hands. And that, that seems true. So... You know, that much is like, okay, well, did they realize this? Did they make some other cost assessment? Like what? I don't know what the rationale was there, but that just doesn't seem like the type of thing that would be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Letting those weapons get away does seem super shitty. And we have a ton of evidence of that. We have pictures of Afghan soldiers with American guns. There is another category of evidence we can look at, Trump's previous performance. When did Trump ever do anything effectively or intelligently? I do, I, I can't recall the specific circumstances, but I do recall reading a couple of news stories, like exactly two, 
during the entire term where I was like, oh, yeah, that that seems like okay, it's an OK thing. OK, fine. But out of the many, many things he did. Out of the literal hundreds, if not thousands of things, I can recall two, except I can only recall that there were two, not explicitly what they were. Yeah, because like not his legal cases against no, the election. not Definitely not that. Yeah, n- none of these things that he do intelligently or effectively. So if he planned, I wish I could put air quotes in over the podcast, if he planned pulling out what are the chances it was just horribly botched? Hi. And I can't say for sure it was horribly botched, but I have no reason to believe that it wasn't. A lot of positions in his administration were left vacant, like people were leaving and he just wasn't replacing them and it wasn't well organized. It, the, having information just being lost yeah. because of mismanagement and understaffing is easy to believe. So then Biden is given, what, six months to formulate a plan for pulling out of a 20-year war? I mean, it's doable, but I would expect it to be a shit show. And what do we have? A shit show. That we know about. Maybe maybe there's great secret plans. Maybe all those guns are secretly poisoned or something. <laughs> That's some spy novel shit. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. All these guns that uh, U.S. troops left behind only fire backwards. Wow. That'd be neat. So going back to the beginning again. Yeah. After 9-11, there was this uh, authorization to use military force. Um, it's only 60 words long, actually. There's some legal boilerplate, but it is really short. And Radiolab has an awesome episode covering this. Um, and it's like an hour-long listen. I gave it another listen just before we recorded today. And it goes deep into what Barbara Lee, what Representative Barbara Lee was uh, feeling, discussing, and thinking when she cast her one vote against approving this uh, a functional declaration of war against an unknown adversary. Mm-hmm. And she was against it primarily because it was too broadly worded, which is prescient from her perspective. And even other people who were worried about it at the time disagreed with her. And with the information at the time, you know, I, I think even today I would have strongly disagreed with her if you just transplant 2021 squeaky back to 2001. You know, if we relive 9-11, would we vote for this attack? Probably. I... <sighs> Okay, so my memory is hazy because two decades, but I want to say there were people that were raising the alarm like, okay, well, you want to go over there, you want to, to counterattack. But the problem with the counterattack is that in, in conventional wisdom, you attack countries. Countries have well-defined borders, well-defined armies, and so the engagement is thus also well-defined. But take that away, and it just it gets much harder, much messier, and people did point at Vietnam as a uh, example that's commonly taught in history for exactly this. So they were like, well, okay, if you don't have a clear objective and you especially don't have a clear enemy, what are you even doing? How are you going to attack this? What is your plan? And a lot of people at the time, their response was, so what, do we do nothing? I think that captures most of it. Also, a big counterpoint was just the word unity. People wanted to stand together as Americans. We were standing together. This was one of the brief periods in my lifetime that the president had an approval rating higher than 60%. I believe Bush's approval rating shot up to like 90% for brief periods. Mm -hmm. Let me read the relevant portion of the authorization for use of United States Armed Forces, as it's titled in the actual document. Sure. And there's some legal boilerplate above it and below it. But the relevant part is, That the president is authorized to use all necessary and appropriate force against those nations, organizations, or persons he determines planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11th, 2001, or harbored such organizations or persons in order to prevent any future acts of terrorism against the United States by such nations, organizations, or persons. 
That's the whole thing. 60 words. That is indeed incredibly broad. Yeah. So you're exactly right. The people voting against this were like, well, what does that let them attack? Well, anything. Anywhere. And it's the justification for pretty much every drone strike, for creating a Guantanamo Bay, for enhanced interrogation techniques. It approves so much. Yeah. And you're right. People saw the, the wisdom in pruning and pulling this back, but everyone saw the need to stand together and decide to fight an enemy and get Congress on board for a vote. People were angry. Oh, yeah. They wanted action. And urging caution was just not going to temper that anger at all. Yeah. And that's unfortunate that cooler heads can't prevail when it's so important because we went to Iraq first, didn't didn't we? Yeah, I think so. And then before that, like wrapped up or even really got underway, we also went into Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And then we have tons of other lesser engagements in other places. So did we accomplish what we wanted in any place? I don't know. One of our goals was kill Osama bin Laden. We did that. One of our goals was to remove Saddam Hussein from power. We did that. But I don't think we accomplished any other goal. I'm just curious if there's any total death count of the war on terror and seeing if there's anybody who's actually counted everything. This place seems totally partisan, but the so-called war on terror has killed over 801,000 people and cost $6.4 trillion, according to this one random site. Let me see if they're actually any good, if anybody corroborates that. That actually sounds really close to what I was expecting. Yeah, they seem pretty partisan. I'll vet them. I'll find some sources for that. But rather than going with just that one number, I'll say that, yeah, the war on terror has probably killed, you know, between half a million and a million people, depending on how you slice it. And the wars have cost us you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. So mm -hmm. is that an appropriate price for killing the leader who attacked us? No. Afghanistan's going to be destabilized again. It's To clarify my no, if we had set that as a, an explicit goal and just moved in with just that goal in mind, we could have done it for way cheaper. In the free marketplace of killing people, America could probably buy a cheaper solution. Yeah. Very easily. Why do we keep touching on these heavy, hard topics? Didn't we want to do humor at some point? Eventually. <sighs> so we have no good answers. We have no hard opinions. No. Other than just to heap onto the pile of people saying this is a shit show. We have good evidence for that. Yeah. So, yeah. On the question of do we stay or do we go, staying is expensive and probably wouldn't yield good results, certainly not in the short term. And if we go, we create an absolute shit show that we don't know how everything is going to land. And that last part is exactly where we are right now. Yeah, I personally do like the idea of getting out of there. But I could think of a dozen different better ways to make that happen. Yeah. I don't like what Biden's doing or how he's doing it, but no, there's no but there. I, I think this could be done better, but I, I don't have good evidence to back that up. So that's just my personal opinion. And that's it. You have the personal opinion of two randos from Nebraska on this because mm -hmm. there just isn't good hard evidence out there for this. And we just have to sometimes accept that I don't know is OK. Yeah. And we may get that evidence one day and it's perfectly fine to change your opinion as you get new evidence. Yeah. Maybe something new will come out like this definitely made me think less of Biden, his interview with uh, CBS News, where he just said, we have no responsibility. That's bullshit. Yeah, that is absolute bullshit, yes. But that doesn't give us any insight into the greater Afghanistan part of this. It's like, yeah, we have a responsibility. What do we do with it? Well, fuck. That's a hard question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we cited 538, Vox, WNYC Studios for Radio Labs. Uh, I read the AUMF from Wikipedia. We have links to John Oliver and the video where John Oliver made Biden look better. A link to that where CBS hosted it on Facebook. Gross. But all those links will be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And all of our listeners who are actually sticking with us should go back over to the raffle and see if there's some place to type in evidence 14 with no spaces. That should give you some extra chances to win. And hopefully some of these prizes go to 
listeners who like and appreciate the podcast and want to support us. Let me get the sound cover thingy. Yep. My mic ain't that bad. Wait, double? Wait, my sound's still barely there. Just again. Correct knob. I was turning the wrong knob. Fuck. I know how to adjust our equipment. We didn't blow a whole bunch of patron money on forgetting to read the manual. No, never. Well, let's let's get off of those heavy topics like war and Afghanistan and onto some light topics like religion. Oh. <sighs> well, UFOs and God, to be more specific. So I just picked these two topics because they come up constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly debating with people online about something related to these. And I figure we've all had to deal with someone talking about God or UFOs at one point or another. Maybe even some of us believe in UFOs or have some nuanced view. When I was a teenager, I was super, super into the UFO stuff. When I was a little kid, I was. I thought it was really cool. But I was also into like astronomy and stuff. Oh, yeah. I had a cheap, shitty telescope. And I'm like, where are all the UFOs? How do I find them? I guess I'm a little kid, so I'm just not hanging out near enough top secret bases. Maybe that'll happen when I get to be older. (laughs) My take was a little bit different. I wasn't like constantly being like, oh, how do I view a UFO? I was just like, oh, people are saying all this crazy shit. Why are they saying it? What all are they saying? And I was just taking it all in and trying to make sense of it. And eventually it just, it got to the point where I would see one explanation and that would flow into another and then into another and into another and into another. And then like at the end of it, I was just be like, but this doesn't really explain anything. It's neat to think about. Like, I like sci-fi, but... So my big revelation on that was ghosts, where I'm like, well, hang on. In my Dungeons and Dragons book, that doesn't date me, I had a Dungeons and Dragon, a Dungeons and Dragons second edition book back when I was like seven or eight. And I'm like, well, it says right here that, you know, raw iron or cold iron weapons can hurt ghosts. So that's probably based in reality. Why would they make something that wasn't? Oh, squeaky. I, I got better. Okay, good. <laughs> Good. But then I started learning about other people's thought processes on ghosts, and I'm like, well, what if I just try to categorize ghosts? And for like a week or two, I was trying to make a chart of like different kinds of ghosts. And then eventually I realized, wait, there's no actual category of ghosts. They're not a species of things because people are just making shit up. That's I can accept that very simple explanation. Or I can go through and try to test all these different kinds of ghosts, but I'd never even seen a ghost. I did manage to go someplace that people thought was haunted, but like I didn't see any ghosts because ghosts aren't real. But I can't, I, even as an adult, I acknowledge I cannot prove ghosts are real. But I will assert they're not real. Because every time we've ever gotten a cohesive theory of ghosts, we go and debunk it. It, it doesn't, doesn't match up. Yeah, I kind of started on the ghost rabbit hole later in my life compared to UFOs. And I started looking at ghost stuff. And I got introduced to it. I mean, of course, I'm familiar with the concept of ghosts. And I have been for most of my life. But just like ghost as a conspiracy theory type of topic, you know, that kind of stuff. I was exposed later uh, by a friend. They tried to explain a bunch of these things to me, and I did just the slightest bit of digging on the topic. And one of the first things that I found was that while there were individual people and groups that claimed to have evidence of ghosts, none of their evidence seemed to be uh, replicatable. And that's if that the methodology was shared at all. So that's like an important part of the process for science is the whole notion of peer review and being able to reproduce results. And if you can't even do that, like in the slightest for any group, then it follows that by definition, what you have is not science. I would entirely agree with that. Before we get to whether or not a thing can be replicated or replicability, Mm -hmm. there's falsifiability. Yeah. Right. And I actually put that one in the notes. Sometimes it's called testability. But are you asking a question or does your piece of evidence answer a question that can actually, in theory, in principle, be answered yes or no. 
right? Like, what is the difference between, or what is the difference to your question if you get different pieces of, of, of evidence? Mm-hmm. <sighs> so gods, UFOs, and ghosts often fail this test because people will say that the absence of the thing or the thing being there is evidence either way. So let me come up with an example. For ghosts, if you've ever seen candles flicker and people try to explain that, oh, that's that's definitely ghosts, and then you go and show that it's uh, it's a draft from, you know, a window being open or something. Yeah, just point the window a little one room over. <laughs> well, that doesn't disconfirm the ghost theory, which is fine, right? But there's no good way to formulate this candle flickering experiment that confirms its ghosts because it could always just be a draft and you have to very carefully and tightly constrain this and you have to come up with some question that actually definitely rules in or out ghosts until you get to that data or get tons of data points that ghosts best and most easily explain and if you're not actually trying to approach these questions honestly you won't get to real data that's not the best example of an unfalsifiable thing yeah, I was thinking about it while you were describing it. I'm like, well, actually, there are ways you can contort all of this. Yeah, you can make good questions to investigate ghosts. Okay, here's a great one. A lot of those ghost hunter shows, mm-hmm. they'll just bring, like, uh, an EVP meter, which are, like, actual tools engineers use for other things. They're not called EVP meters, but they're used for measuring electrical fields or whatever. And they'll just wave them around and point them in the air. And whether or not they get a blip, whether or not they know how to use the tool, if the tool responds, it is a clue that ghosts are coming. Or astrology is another one that's very unfalsifiable. You make all your claims super broad. If you're the astrologer, if you're like writing the horoscopes, you just make your claims super broad. Or if you say, well, you're a good person, you will meet someone today. Well, okay, that's not really falsifiable or testable unless you literally meet no one. Yeah. Probably the worst example of this is on God. And I wanted to go there last because I keep falling into this argument with people where I'm like, give me evidence of God. And they're like, you're evidence of God. But my existence? Like, yeah. Okay. How am I evidence for your God and not some other God? And what would the universe look like without God? Would it be any different? Like, well, you wouldn't exist. Well, I have another cohesive theory that works without a God. It involves a Big Bang. It involves abiogenesis. It involves evolution. And I can get here without a God. So I can make a universe that looks an awful lot like this one without God. So your assertion that I wouldn't exist without God doesn't match the evidence. And that puts your original conjecture, the, the fact that the universe exists as evidence, into this unfalsifiable place because it's it just isn't cohesive. It doesn't start off intelligent. Well, the more intelligent people that make those arguments will then move to the, the first mover notion. That does happen. Oh, I long for the days when the disevidential crowd was smarter. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we provide some examples of things that are definitely falsifiable? Okay. I don't know. If we want to check if we're improving... Let's say our car. Let's say we're trying to upgrade our car and make it go faster, right? Mm-hmm. If you have two parts, like two different mufflers, and you're trying to increase airflow and horsepower, you can ask, will this muffler improve performance? Uh, if I get a higher number when I test for horsepower, I've improved performance. So you go and you, you measure something. Perhaps it's as simple as seeing how fast you can drive some predetermined distance. And if you do it faster, going as fast as the car can go, you know, you, you do it a few times and you, you get the average of with the new muffler, without the new muffler then uh, you can falsify your assertion that the new muffler's better. Real easy. I mean, in principle. It still takes a lot of effort swapping the mufflers and writing down all the data, but the thinking part isn't that hard. Mm-hmm. I was going to go even simpler than that. Go. Let's just concoct examples of falsifiability. Oh, you're holding a computer heatsink. I was going to say, I'm holding a boat, but that's readily falsifiable because this is very obviously yeah. a heatsink. I can look at your hand and see whether or not it is a boat. Yeah. Yeah. This is not going to be buoyant at all. <laughs> It has no displacement. It's pretty dirty. We could put it in some water and see what happens. I mean, they'd probably make it cleaner, yes. Okay. Earlier while you were talking, I went over to the bookshelf. Yep. I was looking for 
a book that I remember as a small child that was just all about UFOs and stuff. And it was just like news. It was made to look like newspaper clippings and okay. all, all kinds of stuff. But it was all about aliens and close encounters and, and really dramatic stuff. And looking back on it, none of it cited sources. All the pictures were these grainy black and white things. Uh, the stories were, they ranged from implausible to impossible. I didn't find it, but I did find my old second edition monster manual. So I'm going to pull up Ghost right now. Sure. How many giants do we need? Lots. Yeah, it's got one page for Ghost. Special defenses, see below. Ah, shit, I'm not reading all this. <laughs> this is dreadfully uninteresting. But according to this, all ghosts are evil and follow the law. So, okay, that's interesting. That's a falsifiable claim. If we just find a ghost and see if we can make it shoplift, that would disprove this book's theory of ghosts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that would involve finding a ghost and making them pick something up, which would be pretty miraculous in the first place. So while you were doing that, I thought of two more examples of falsifiability. And okay, in theory, yeah, there is there is a threshold where a certain amount of technological advancement and effort and resources can make these things falsifiable, but... So they're falsifiable in theory, but maybe not in practice. Definitely not in practice. Because there's another really good one. I'll go into the procession of Mercury later, but yeah. Oh, well, okay. The first one I was going to say is Russell's teapot. Oh, so the idea that a teapot is orbiting Mars and we just need to go find it. Yeah, like prove to me that there isn't a teapot orbiting Mars. Yeah, that it's part of why people often say that proving a negative is very difficult. Yeah. Because it can be. Because in order to, to disprove that, I would need like an array of satellites orbiting Mars, scanning all of the space around Mars. For an extended period of time. If someone's going to leave a comment and let me know that I got Russell's teapot wrong, it was probably around Pluto or around the asteroid belt or something. Well, I, I've heard it actually be referenced in different locations. The the one, the first one that I heard was actually uh, in an orbit between Mars and Earth. Okay, yeah. Same principle, though. It is yeah. in theory falsifiable. All we need is an array of millions of satellites scanning all the space. Constantly looking for disruptions and then investigating each one to see if it's a teapot. Yep. <laughs> so. Okay. So theoretically falsifiable, in practice not. And then one for UFOs. One of the first major or mainstream, not UFO encounters, but like abduction encounters. I think the names, and I'm going off of memory here, so I might be messing a few things up, but I believe it was from uh, Henry and Betty Hill from the 1960s or maybe the 50s. Okay. And allegedly they got abducted and they actually communicated with the aliens. They asked where they were from. Allegedly they were shown star charts and they had no way of comprehending the star charts. So then they were just, the star charts were discarded and they moved on with the abduction. <laughs> and then later, again, allegedly, they saw some star charts from some other source i think it was like a magazine or something and they're like oh my god that looks very familiar and they from that other image they determined that the origin that was being indicated by the aliens was zeta reticuli okay i'm googling this this is sure. some random star what was significant about it i have no idea I, I didn't really go down that specific rabbit hole too closely so from this a ufologist might say prove to me that there are no aliens at Zeta Reticuli. Yeah, in theory, that's falsifiable, but it requires an array of satellites, interstellar travel, mm -hmm. all other kinds of stuff. Yeah. Zeta Reticuli is actually strangely plausible. It's only 39 light, 39 light years away. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're going to travel interstellar distances, you know, this one might only take a couple lifetimes. I believe it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's also a main sequence star or close to. It's actually a binary star, but maybe one of them's main sequence. Okay. 
wow, it's actually a pair of orbiting main sequence stars. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of small details where it's like, okay, maybe, but... But this still doesn't prove anything. They could have Googled, not Googled, not in the 60s, but they could have done a little bit of astronomical reading and found a suitable star because this is one of the brightest things or one of the brighter things in the night sky. You can see it with the naked eye pretty easily. Mm -hmm. You know, and they do a little bit of research. They find this close thing. They're like, yeah, the aliens are from here. It's still far enough away that, yeah, fight me, disprove me, do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not an easy proposition. So in in practice, this isn't a falsifiable claim. So my opinion on unfalsifiable claims is we can generally disregard them because let's say it is true or false. Well, you can't test that claim. So it doesn't matter if it's true or false. If you could test it, it could matter. Figure it out. It doesn't say anything concrete, so it's it's largely useless, and it's definitely a better use of your time and effort to focus on things that can be proven. So another thing that comes up a lot, the afterlife. Uh, just yesterday, I had someone saying that I would be you know, regretting the day that I ignored that these were the end times. Oh, fun. So heavily implying I would be dying and going to some afterlife or staying here on Earth. Did you tell them, okay, Doomer? Okay, Doomer? <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, uh, no, I didn't. I, I was just like, got any evidence, bro? <laughs> and that's, that's my default go-to response for all these people making these claims. Then they always claim, well, you're evidence that God exists. And I'm like, you're right. I'm convinced. All hail Allah or whatever other God that isn't their God. And I try to make them make the mental connection to no, no, my God. That, that argument usually ends in them just being very frustrated with me. Yes, I can see that. Yeah, I, I have a lot of practice at this. They, they, they don't get it. <laughs> you, <laughs> God. To quote Steve, you bring them down to your level and beat them with experience. Yes. So some other things that are uh, unfalsifiable. A common one I hear is last Thursdayism. Oh, God. This is just a thought experiment, right? You deployed this one on me before. Yeah, just imagine if the universe was created last Thursday and whoever or whatever was creating it put into position all of the necessary evidence to make it have the appearance of age. Yeah, implanted memories and everything as well. Yeah, and, and the light that's traveling between stars, and just position the, the photons where they need to be. And to, to simplify this, imagine you've played a video game and you save your game, right? If the game's good, and right? so not like I have like shitty save points or whatever, but if the game's good, it restores everything to exactly how it was before the save after you load up your save again. So there's no difference. The, the, the game instantiates, it creates a new instance of the game world with all of the experience and age that existed before you saved and turned your game off. Like Minecraft, or you pick your RPG of choice, or you know, any game with a save, pretty much. You load it up, you're good to go. It was created right now, but it has the appearance of all of the age that it had before. There's no way to prove that our universe wasn't created in this manner last Thursday. Yep. But it's not worth thinking about because if there's no way to prove it, then there's no way it'll impact my life. Yeah. I mean, it's worth thinking about as a thought experiment, I guess. If but... you want to go a little bit crazier. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I think it helps when people start talking about like various creation myths, like, you know, Genesis or, I don't know, people don't bring up too many other creation myths nowadays. Mm-hmm. If the universe were created through some of these ways, would there or wouldn't there be an appearance of age? And does it line up with what we actually see? Last Thursdayism postulates a perfect creation of the universe with the appearance of age, but do most religious accounts? No. The Bible, most Christians are now saying that Genesis was metaphorical. Oh, great. I mean, they are. I I haven't heard that before. Well, there's a really good video. I'll link to it, but I got it from uh, Dragon, uh, one of the followers and I believe listeners of the podcast from LinkedIn. But this video talks about how so much of the Bible is contradictory and allegorical because Genesis 1 and 2 contradict each other. They just swap orders of events. And this preacher's thought process was either God is wrong and the whole thing is BS 
or God didn't mean for you to take this literally. So since he's a preacher and he had the a priori presumption that, you know, God was right when he, you know, passed this book down, yeah. that, uh, you know, we just weren't supposed to take this entirely literally. And when we look at what Genesis says, the God created the universe in so many days and there were certain things we expect from that, we don't see that. We don't see a, a universe that's just a few thousand years old. It doesn't say anywhere that God created the illusion of age. So what can we actually infer? What can we deduce from this? Well, maybe God just wanted to impart certain kinds of knowledge on us and say that he did create the universe, and that's the allegory. But whenever I'll link to this, mm -hmm. it's actually interesting to see people contort their religion to get it back to being a solvent, <laughs> intellectually solvent, not intellectually bankrupt. I don't yeah, know. I was going to say, even though it landed on something that is a bit anti-intellectual, it is kind of refreshing to hear that at least a little bit of critical thinking was exercised there. I suppose so. Okay. But it's a, it's a good 20-minute video, and I really enjoyed it because it shows how a lot of people are coming to terms with the fact that science just simply contradicts a literal view of the Bible. Yeah. But a problem with moving away from the literal view is you now make the Bible unfalsifiable. If your claim is that the Bible is a user manual for life or something equally trite, well then... You're going to start with that presumption, then you're going to go to the Bible and find some piece of wisdom that may or may not work for you and then use it, as opposed to trying to take each claim in the Bible and uh, assessing whether or not it's valid or invalid in its own right, which would be the, the more appropriate way to deal with this. Because there's got to be some true stuff in there. It's, it's a thick book. If they were just guessing, there would still be some correct things. A broken clock is correct two times a day. <sighs> Being so much more brutal to religion than I meant to be. Well, yeah... Broken clocks are right twice a day, so yeah. Yep. Sometimes religion puts valid things out there, and those claims should be addressed on their own merit. You can't just say everything religion said was false, because there are basic things in there. Like, at some point you can distill some of what Jesus said down to treat others how you want to be treated. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. it's, it is an ethical claim, so it's not a hard scientific claim, but that can be judged on its own merit. And then other things, like various prophecies, they're pretty bogus. Yeah. There were several times where people read from the Bible and claimed that Doomsday was upon us. We had an, an episode segment on exactly that, Doomsdays. Oh my god, we did. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to find that during editing and put a link to it in the show notes, because yeah, it's it seems to be about once a year that people claim Doomsday is this year. And they are always, so far, wrong. Yeah, but just by virtue of guessing, eventually when we do have a Doomsday, they'll be right. <laughs> I suppose if they keep at it, then, and everything keeps on persisting for as long as possible, then, uh, yeah, maybe the Great Rip or the Universal Heat Death or whatever else, they're going to be saying, oh, yeah, this is Doomsday, and then finally they'll be right. Oh, you know, we, we said we were going to discuss UFOs here. We didn't go too far into that. Mm, a little bit. We can go do some more on UFOs. One thing I really like about UFOs is that it's actually a somewhat complex topic. Oh, yes. Ghosts, you can kind of discard out of hand because it's like, souls come out of people. And you're like, cool, where's the soul and the person in the first place? Doesn't exist. So you just, the whole idea is just a non-starter. Religion. Well, everyone's got a different religion and it doesn't really seem to impact the quality of their decisions. <laughs> they make good decisions or bad decisions based on reality, just like everybody else. Okay, well, we kind of discard religion out of hand, take whatever claims we want from it and try to make the best of them. But then UFOs are just like, you know, the claims are like some of the unidentified flying objects that we see are from other planets or other worlds or in involve people not from Earth. And that claim, it isn't a non-starter. You can get somewhere with that. Yeah. It is theoretically possible that life happens somewhere else. Whether you're religious or irreligious, there could be other peoples. Given what we know about the formation of life on Earth and the availability of various amino acids and just the sheer scale of the universe, it seems like a statistical certainty that there'd yeah. be other life out there. Yeah, I'm just going to throw numbers out there. But let's just say that 
For any given planet around any given star, there's you know a one in a trillion chance life forms there. Oh, you're going to go through the Drake equation? Uh, very abbreviated. Sure. Just the fact that we have so many trillions of stars, we have trillions upon trillions, you know, trillions times trillions. Like each galaxy has a few million and there are many, many millions of galaxies. Mm-hmm. If there's a one in a trillion chance that there's life on any given planet, well, there's going to be more life out there. A lot of it, in fact. Yeah. Just the various ways I've heard to count it. There are more stars uh, in our galaxy than there are grains of sand on a beach. Yep. And you ask which beach, and then the astronomers retort back, well, how about your biggest beach? Start there. <laughs> oh, you're pretty confident, Mr. Astronomer. Let's look at numbers. And then you look at the numbers, and like the exponents are wrong. You're like, oh, that's why you said number of grains of sand on a beach. You could have said atoms. Oh, <laughs> it's usually not that extreme that you could actually use atoms, but the amount of stars is improbable. It's just very hard to communicate the scale of the universe. But then the logic starts getting fuzzier. Because, yeah, there almost certainly is life out there. Yep. God, we are just running through the Drake equation. Yeah, we are. Because then we have to ask how much of that life can leave the planet it's on and get to us. Yeah, get to the technological advancement necessary to leave their gravity well. Yeah. And that gets harder. That's less of a non-starter because we can barely do it. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have any examples of people more advanced than us yet. We might someday. Yeah. We know how to get out of our gravity. Well, we can just, and we've seen it and we have evidence for how to do it. We could design a ship that travels between the stars with modern technology. We could. It, it has its own technological hurdles, but it is technologically possible. Uh, yes. I, w- I would argue just engineering hurdles. Without having to do any new fundamental research or new material science or anything like that, we could use modern materials and modern methods. We'd have to put them together different. We'd maybe need to make a you know, some do 3D printers for certain materials or something, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to find some new material. We don't need to... How do I articulate the difference between science and engineering? How do we apply what we know to our current problem versus how do we learn a new thing that no human knows? That's what I'm getting at. We just need to apply what humans already know, and we could build a ship to another to another star. Yeah, the way I've heard that phrased before is it's not a theory problem, it's an engineering problem. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to phrase it. And I hope our listeners picked up on this distinction, because it's subtle for people who have heard it the first time. It's not always easy to parse out. Mm-hmm. How about this? If you wanted to build a car, you don't need any new science for it, but you might need to learn how to do some engineering. But if you wanted to build a, if you want to build a teleporter, you're going to need some new science for that. Nobody knows how to do anything like that yet. Maybe it's possible, maybe it's not, but we certainly don't know how to do it right now. So you need to go, step one, start with research into the foundations of how teleporting might work. So this is where UFOs start to get really dodgy because the closest stars are four or five light years away. And what's a light year? Anybody familiar with science, you already know it's how far light travels in one year. Light isn't instantaneous. We're about, what, six, seven, eight light minutes away from the sun? Uh, Depending on where we are in our orbit, the common answer is eight. Okay. And the moon is about one light second from Earth. It takes about roughly yeah. 1.1 seconds for light to reach the moon. Pluto is some like a light month out away from the sun or something like that. Light weeks, light months. Mm. You're going to Google it? I'm, I'm going to. You have me curious now. I'm going to I'm going to guess that it's uh, 90 light days from the sun. Uh, Not quite. How, how wrong was I? Uh, Google is claiming that Pluto is around 263.2 light minutes away. Oh, good, good, good. So I'm just way off on the scale here. Yeah, so that's a little over four hours, I think. So four light hours. Okay, could you double check the distance to Proxima Centauri, the closest star to Earth? (laughs) Like light years? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just going to be 4.2 light years to Proxima Centauri. 4.246. Okay, good. That one was just head memorized. I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy there. Mm -hmm. Okay, in order to travel those distances, Pluto is four light hours away, and it took some of our rockets, like New Horizons, months and months. That's probably why I was thinking months and months. We did not send a rocket a third the speed of light towards this thing. It took New Horizons like 24 months to get there. 
Yeah. Maybe less, maybe more, but still, months. If aliens are coming from another planet, it's going to take them years and years to do it. Doesn't rule it out. It could totally happen, in theory. You could have generational ships, long-lived aliens, uh, or there could be some way to crack FTL that we just don't know. So that brings up this question. A lot of people go straight to FTL because it's really easy to write into a story, and all of us have heard stories that involve faster than light travel. I mean, who hasn't watched or read something related to Star Wars or Star Trek? Both of them have trivial, faster-than-light travel. That's what Mako means when he says FTL. Yep. And the problem with that is that, as far as the science is concerned, right now, FTL looks to be impossible. We can't just categorically say it is. And this isn't like the speed of sound. Uh, some of our older listeners might remember back when Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier, and everyone was like, that's impossible, nobody can go faster than the speed of sound. Those were engineering limits. Planes couldn't be built to go faster than the speed of sound because the sonic boom really stressed a plane. We got better materials, we built planes better, we learned how to deflect away some of the, the forces, and we built planes that went faster than sound. <laughs> it's also less than 1% the speed of light, like a lot less. Yeah. Percents don't even gather. It's like 1% of 1% the speed of light. And as you go faster, you need more and more energy to keep going faster. Now, I don't mean that just it takes more energy to accelerate, because it does. But as you go faster and faster, you get heavier. Like, your mass changes. At speeds we're used to seeing and understanding, this is insignificant. So this might be a little bit too nuanced, but minor correction is it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that you get heavier. That's your, true. Your I... mass does change. That is absolutely accurate. But mass as a, a function of the total energy in the system is the more accurate way to describe that. Uh, for the purpose of the math, you do wind up getting... <laughs> yeah. Physicists, go ahead and correct us. <laughs> There's so many levels of details we could pick on here. I'm going to stick with the more simplified version. Just if you're shooting, if you're using fuel to go faster mm -hmm. or even like a laser to push you. So if you're using some normal physics-based system that we understand to push you, you get heavier and heavier as you approach the speed of light. So you need more and more energy. And in order to hit that speed of light, all of the math right now says that you need an infinite amount of energy because you will be infinitely massive. So yeah, that is totally a simplification. And you're totally right that... From your own perspective, your own weight doesn't change, but other things give to make that work. Either time gives or your perception of time from the outside or the amount of fuel you're consuming. These other things all give before you crack the speed of light. So this isn't a, an engineering problem. This is a fundamental science problem. Yeah. And I've got an article from futurism.com that I link with a whole bunch of cool theoretical ways to travel that fast. They talk about like nuclear bomb propulsion, rockets... Uh, the fastest one that they had was a, a solar light sail. It doesn't crack the speed of light. Actually, they do have one theoretical warp drive, but... You need exotic matter to make the warp drive work. Yeah, you need negative mass. You, you need whatever this stuff is. If you could make a cookie out of it, you could put it in a cookie jar and have negative one cookies. Fix that problem first. <laughs> There's negative one cookies in this jar. What, what does that even look like? What would that mean? So a lot of scientists think that thing can't be done. Now, scientists could be wrong, mm -hmm. but uh, the fastest one that we can in theory do without discovering this exotic matter is a light sail. And it's a whole bunch of cheating. You take a really small light object, put a really big like mylar or other thin film sticking off of it such that you capture light. And then here on Earth, or maybe a satellite near Earth, we put up a big laser and shoot the uh, sail, and the light pushes it. And this starts off really slow. But the fact that you get to push the thing for years and years lets you constantly add to the speed. So you can get up to you know, half the speed of light or something really impressive with this. You don't get to slow down on the other end. Nothing, you, in space, there's no friction, there's no air resistance or anything, so you'd have to do something to slow down, like maybe bring a really big rocket and fire the rocket in the other direction when you get there. But yeah, so the trip could be done, and we, we came on this tangent to discuss UFOs. So mm -hmm. theoretically, all of these things could happen, right? and then UFOs could get here. 
But then we have to start asking, why are they here when they have all these cool technologies they could do all other kinds of things with? If they do have FTL, like, why do we ever see them in the first place? They can manipulate all kinds of things. They can presumably manipulate time. Presumably. The one really lame excuse that I've thrown out there before to try to explain that is what if this technology is something that's so readily available we're encountering the irresponsible Joe Schmo of this civilization. Oh, he's like on his way to work and he crash landed at Roswell? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That is surprisingly plausible, I guess, in this range <laughs> of very implausible things. Yeah, just more thought experiments. But yeah. But still non-falsifiable. Like, we, we can't prove any of this either way. Well, looking at how implausible this is, because we just built up how hard it would be, right? Oh, yeah. Like, we're talking about building giant space infrastructure that's shooting a laser, you know, four light years and then having another big thing over. That's the fastest way we can get from here to there, and it still involves a four-year one-way trip. Wow. Okay. All of that versus... Man, cities are really windy sometimes. That balloon is really whipping back and forth, and it's really blurry at this distance. Maybe it's a balloon. Ugh, God, I keep citing these guys, but Cognitive Dissonance actually had that problem. They're in Chicago, and one of them recounted a story where one of them was just walking down the street, screwing around in his phone. He was, like, answering an email, and somebody's like, hey, what's that? And this random person on the street points up at the sky, and it's whipping around back and forth. It's unidentifiable. They're like, what is this thing? And somebody else just walking by says, looks up, says, oh, it's a balloon, and walks on like it's nothing. And what else do you expect from the Windy City? So It's just a silly anecdote from this yeah. balloon flying around. We have transitioned from uh, talking about the falsifiability of high-level claims to debunking individual claims. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't. that wasn't a very poor transition. I was just trying to highlight that so many of these things, people like to leap to this improbable high-level claim, this, this claim that these are extraterrestrials. And when you invoke that, you bring along all this baggage that Mako and I just discussed about distances and time, when mm -hmm. most of the time a much simpler explanation is available. And sometimes the explanations are still pretty fanciful and more plausible. What if it was a foreign spy drone, right? That's, that's plausible. Could yeah. be a thing. What if it was some other weird phenomena? What if it was you know, a cloudy night and there was one little hole in the clouds and you saw the moon through it? I've heard, it's another one of those things I haven't really followed through with on myself, but I've heard that a lot of the early triangular UFO reports that people made decades ago were actually test flights of the F-117. That's unreasonably plausible, yeah. yeah. For people not familiar with model names on airplanes, the F-117 was the stealth fighter. Back in the 90s, we used it a whole bunch in the Gulf War. The first time we invaded Iraq, it has this weird stealth reflecting shape, and it's made of a bunch of polygons and looks kind of like a flying triangle. And the test models were all painted this like bright gray for reasons, and the production models were all painted black for other reasons. <laughs> like, you want to see a test plane, you don't want to see the real plane in operation, so you paint it black and fly it at night. Well, if you see a white triangle flying around at night, you might be seeing the test version of this thing. And it was really goofy looking. Well, not exclusively white, but just depending on the lighting and the cloud cover and just the stars that are out, you can you can make out a triangular shape in some of those situations. And then you're just like, oh, well, I don't know anything that's like that. Because, I mean, if this is a test flight before the F-117 went public, well, you literally do have an unidentified flying object. Totally. And that's actually a really cool story still. It's like, oh, I saw I saw a classified military plane before it came out. Mm -hmm. That's that's a hard sell to your friends anyway, right? Yeah. Your buddies at the pub will barely believe that because that stretches credulity already. But at least that doesn't involve new physics, doesn't involve 
life forms we've never met doesn't involve traveling across the stars and not being seen by us to get here doesn't involve whatever their ship is actually doing. <sighs> so on this, there's a Science and Futurism with I Isaac Arthur. He runs this great channel where he discusses the limits of what modern engineering could do. And he commonly talks about like these big, grandiose like planet scale and star scale projects. And a bunch of his listeners voted in a poll to make him discuss aliens and UFOs. So he went and got, from the middle of last year, uh, three videos that the Navy released. And in these three videos, there's three different UFOs. They're unidentified, they're flying, and they're objects. There's various reasons to believe that each of these things is weird and implausible. In one of them, there's like this halo of cold, and it's from a, an infrared camera. So it looks like it's giving off a cold aura, which is pretty magical by our standards. Mm -hmm. Anything giving off cold like that needs to be absorbing heat somewhere, and that's weird that it wasn't. Another one of the objects was super small and traveling at what appeared to be three or four times the speed of sound and making weird abrupt turns. Well, it was the angle of it against the water and the plane taking a picture of it and wind. It was That one was literally a weather balloon. And we launch, you know, a few thousand of these every single day to track the weather. That's how your weather reports are so accurate, satellites and those. And the angle the plane was flying at created this uh, perspective issue where against the ground, it looked like the thing was traveling many times the speed of sound. But if you get alongside it, you're like, oh, it's traveling at exactly wind speed, which is bad perspective. And all of these had problems like that. So you can check out his video. He, he goes into it and he's very impartial on it. He doesn't go out to debunk and he, does, he doesn't even make the hard, firm claim that this was definitely a weather balloon. Yeah, he's surprisingly gentle about all of it. Yeah. Did you overheard? Yes. Yeah. He's not big into debunking and the harsh realities. We go there and he doesn't. Because I'll just, I'll assert that was, that was not an extraterrestrial vehicle. It just wasn't. Mm -hmm. We just know how fast it was going. We have good evidence and we have no evidence that extraterrestrials actually showed up here. It wouldn't be that hard to have some kind of evidence. It is super difficult to track everything on a planet and defeat every radar system and every camera system. So if even 1% of the UFO claims were real, we'd have something firm. Well. No, do you disagree with that logic? There's, uh, I don't know, th there is room where like we could kind of go a little bit of back forth on that because so there is something to be said about like project blue book for example and <sighs> that's they... that's a loaded term for the listener project blue book was an air force aggregation of a whole bunch of unidentified flying object sightings and the air force put forward their best explanation for a bunch of them yeah most of them were good some of them were very very bad yeah but the thing i was going for there is that as much as they did thoroughly explain and rationalize a really good chunk of them there's some that they didn't so people that are wanting to believe in ufos would probably say that yeah the, that stuff does exist and skeptics are trying to refute it constantly and then and that's of course presuming that the the really good evidence is stuff that is something that's widely known by the public and not discredited through some other means by some group i don't know there's a lot of twisting that can go on there it still all comes back to at least from our perspective non-falsifiability like we couldn't really prove it either way yeah if somebody shows up with a photo and like here's a ufo it proves the existence of ufos cool who else saw it when did it happen how can we take another picture of it it's it's not repeatable and because we only have this one photo right there's no good way to say yes or no this was a ufo I mean, we can try to go back and, like, request radar records from nearby airports and stuff, but if part of the assertion is, oh, well, they're invisible because they have radar immunity for whatever high-tech, super science alien reasons, there's no good way to get evidence on it. This, this photo and the claim attached to it aren't falsifiable, 
And because it's a one-time event, it's not reproducible. Well, then we have to default to really weak forms of evidence. Either we take this person's testimony, which is never great, or we look at the larger body of evidence, which isn't ideal either. But at least we can look back and see, yeah, the other times we've had stories like this, 60% of them have been hoaxes or something. I don't know what that exact percentage is, but there's a lot of UFO hoaxes out there, and a lot of them are just demonstrated to be hoaxes. Yep. So which one's more plausible, that this guy is mistaken, is hoaxing, or this random smudge on a photo is actually life from another planet? Smudges happen. I've taken pictures with smudges and not realized what the thing was. It happens. <laughs> Usually not even outside. I mean, I'm a software developer. The outside world scares and frightens me, so I just live in the basement all day. <laughs> yes. Mako's giving me side eyes. He's like, no, you don't. You, you bike. Not during the pandemic. Yes, you have previously biked. Yes. I, I kind of want to try to take pictures of paintballs. I bet paintballs would make really good UFOs. If you get the lighting, the angle, all that stuff right, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Especially since some of them come in like weird colors and weird patterns, right? And you get that like smudged at just the right angle. Get some really nice camera, but set the shutter speed up just a little bit, uh, make the shutter speed a little bit slow so the object blurs just right. Create some plausible deniability. And we don't edit the photos at all, so there won't be any, you know, artifacts from editing, there won't be any of that stuff. We could make photos pretty easily. And that too, how easy it is for people to fake the stuff. Yep. Uh, in the absence of evidence, it's really hard to prove things. We can't categorically rule out ghosts, gods, or UFOs, but uh, we could in theory rule them in, and we haven't yet. Mm -hmm. I hope that one day we do rule in extraterrestrial life. The math says that it's out there somewhere. But whether or not they can get here is... Or we can get there. I'm trying to be an optimist. Hopefully yeah. we won't just kill ourselves with climate change or guns or any of the other topics for our previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Is our episode list just a list of humanity's mistakes? I would prefer not to think of it that way. One of our topics was Rush Limbaugh? Yes. So we'll just be sure to include the secret episode... Secret code in the episode. I'm going to just erase that chunk. Sure. So we'll be sure to include the secret episode... Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher include Jared, Duct Tape, Keldar, and Lazori78. And thanks to our sponsors. Do you need a computer? Go to abkcustoms.com, abk-kustoms.com, to speak to an expert. Give them code EVIDENCE for a 10% discount on your next computer. Copyright 2021 Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was Slow by Pit X, used with permission.